this is Solemn Literary Press. I'm your host, Riley Bounds, and this is the Solemn Podcast, where we discuss and examine the intersection of the modern renaissances in evangelical literature, philosophy, and spiritual formation. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. J.P. Moreland on the podcast. J.P. Moreland is Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. He received a BS in physical chemistry from the University of Missouri, a THM in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, an MA in philosophy from the University of California at Riverside, and a PhD in philosophy at the University of Southern California. He has spoken and debated on over 200 college campuses and taught in 500 or so churches around the world. In addition, he has authored, edited, or contributed papers to 95 books, including Does God Exist?, Universals, Consciousness and the Existence of God, The Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology, The Blackwell Companion to Substance Dualism, and Debating Christian Theism. He has also published over 85 articles in journals such as Philosophy and Phenomenological Research, American Philosophical Quarterly, Australasian Journal of Philosophy, Metaphilosophy, Philosophia Christi, Religious Studies, and Faith and Philosophy. Moreland was selected in August 2016 by the best schools as one of the 50 most influential living philosophers in the world. More information will be given in the show notes, including a link to his website, his directory profile on Biola University's website, and a link to his newest book, A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles, if you want to find out more. Marlon, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Well, Riley, my friend, it's so good to see you again, and it's great to be with you, brother. Yeah, um, this is uh, basically your shrine behind me. Um, I have <laughs> I have the Blackwell <laughs> Companion, uh, Philosophical Fundamentals, all that behind me, so um, well, I, big fan. I feel a lot of love, buddy, but I think maybe you need to get a life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, that's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, just thank you for taking the time to come on today, Dr. Merlin. And um, so this interview will be a bit different from most of the ones that you do in that we're going to be focusing on your work in uh, spiritual formation and mental health. So why don't you tell us um, what's motivated you to write on those recently? Well, I was born with a genetic predisposition uh, to anxiety. I inherited it from my mother's side. And throughout most of my life, I would have episodes of anxiety or depression periodically, but they were never severe uh, until uh, 2003. And I had the most stressful year I've ever had. And at the end of the school year, I had a seven-month nervous breakdown. I began to experience daily panic attacks, and I was literally uh, wiped out. I could not function. I laid on the couch uh, in a fetal position for weeks. And so I decided I wanted to get into some therapy and get on some medications and, and maybe try some new spiritual exercises. Uh, I got better. And then for 10 years, I was okay, but then I, I fell into it again in 2013, same cause, horrible year of stress. 
And I decided at that point, with God's help, that I was going to research uh, everything I could on the subject. And I was going to try to put into practice some exercises that I discovered. And so this, the book Finding Quiet, and then my, my new book, A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles, are really the result of uh, what I discovered that, that helped me change. And uh, I have not had anywhere even close to mild anxiety uh, since uh, 2013. So uh, that's what led me into it. It was out of a need and out of a desire to share, not to waste my suffering, Riley. I wanted to, uh, to share what I learned with other people. Right. Yeah, I, I, I feel for you. I've only had very mild panic attacks, uh, and they've been very, very infrequent. Um, but I, I had a friend who he, he kind of went through a similar experience and about the same uh, length of time as, as yours uh, were just daily panic attacks. He, felt, he said he felt like it was like he was losing his mind. Oh, I did too. Yeah, I did. So yeah. that must just be absolute hell. Well, it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, but yeah, I'm just so glad that you, you learned how to combat that and share it in your book. So it's been very helpful to me. Thank I know you. it'll be helpful to other people. Thank you. Now, how would you describe depression and anxiety to someone who's never experienced it before? And how would you convince them that mental illnesses are, are just as real as something like diabetes or cancer or something alike? Well, uh, anxiety is, an, is a feeling of being uh, adrenalized or alert or uh, perhaps experiencing uh, uh, some sort of uh, intense fear or maybe even a little terror. Uh, and it can come in degrees and be a good thing if you're really in danger. But if it's, uh, if, if it's habitual or if it's triggered by past trauma or current stress or other factors, it can be extremely dangerous and painful. Depression, uh, there are different kinds of, of these things, but generally speaking, Depression is a feeling of being uh, extremely low energy. Uh, you want to sleep all the time, usually. Uh, the things that used to bring you pleasure and motivation no longer do. And life just seems kind of hopeless and stale. And uh, uh, one can trigger the other. Uh, anxiety can trigger depression or conversely, or they can be freestanding each on its own. So there are all kinds of combinations. Well, what would you say that the members of the church need to understand about mental health and illnesses? Well, Riley, I think we need to step back and, and get really clear on a biblical anthropology, on, on what the biblical teaching as to what are we. And to make a long story short, uh, I have discovered that we are embodied souls. Mm -hmm. uh, I am actually a soul uh, that can survive without a body and if I die, but the natural functioning of my soul is in cooperation with the organs of my body, such that if my eyes are put out, I'm not able to see, though it's not my eyeballs that see, I do. And so uh, within my soul are what are called faculties or different 
uh, clusters of abilities or powers, like I have a faculty of mind, a faculty of will, a faculty of spirit, a faculty of emotion. And these are little, what you might just call clusters of powers and abilities. Uh, my mind is the place where, is the compartment of my soul where my beliefs and thoughts are stored and my powers to reason. Um, the, so what, what we learn is that I am a spiritual, psychosomatic, unified being. That is that there are different facets of me. There's a distinctively spiritual facet, a psychological facet, and a physical facet. And so to attack uh, anxiety or depression appropriately, if you should check with the psychiatrist to see if you need medications. The Old Testament, uh, in the book, uh, What Would Jesus Drink? Um, there is a description of the important that why God created alcohol. And besides giving us pleasure and joy, uh, it, it also teaches in the Old Testament that um, it was to be taken, uh, and in the New Testament too, as, as a medication for uh, being down. Uh, and uh, today, I, I want to be cautious about that. The only point I'm making is that medications were a part of Old Testament teaching. Now we have better medications. So uh, good Christian therapy is important. And then learning how to deal with the demonic and engaging in spiritual practices. So the first thing I learned that the church needs to hear is that uh, dealing with these issues is holistic. It involves medication, exercise, psychological counseling, and sp spiritual formation. The second thing I learned is that anxiety is largely a learned habit that can be unlearned through the right practices or exercises. And so the way to get rid of anxiety in, in most cases will involve replacing old habits to regroove your uh, nervous system and brain with new habits that automatically trigger peace and joy. Example, you practice the daily habit of gratitude. And so you, throughout the day, you beginning in your morning, you, you express gratitude for four or five things that you are honest to goodness thankful for. You don't, don't do 10 or 50, less is better, you know, four or five, and just really dwell on it for a bit, five, all, three, four or five minutes. But throughout your day, you just give and, and, you, and you express gratitude, even if you're not grateful. Because if you want to be grateful, then you're not being a hypocrite because you're doing the steps that it takes to get where you really want to go where you're genuinely feeling grateful. That would be an example of a practice that would train your brain to automatically trigger a sense of, of, of joy as opposed to, oh, no, not another day, uh, something like that. Well, what should uh, Christians with severe anxiety and depression expect of themselves in terms of spiritual progress? What does it really realistically look like to follow Jesus with severe mental or physical illness? Two things. The first one is that you should practice um, self 
nurture and self-affection. That's not narcissism uh, because that's an unhealthy and ordinate. It's all about me. Self-affection or self-nurture just recognizes that I am a precious person in God's eyes. So I'm actually precious and I'm vulnerable. And so I need like a puppy who's precious and vulnerable that elicits a desire to be kind to the puppy. Well, that seeing myself as precious and vulnerable elicits a desire to be kind to myself. So don't beat yourself up. Be kind. Mm-hmm. The second thing you want to do is, is get into good, a good therapy and go to a psychiatrist just to see if your symptoms warrant medication. Maybe they don't, but it's worth a check. Mm-hmm. And then um, either get a hold of Finding Quiet or, or some other book on this and learn some daily habits or practices you can begin to do spiritually and, and uh, psychologically that will train you uh, to get better over time, over three, four months. The second thing I would, so the first thing is to, is to self-nurture and the, and part of that is uh, getting into therapy and medication perhaps and finding a source like finding quiet and begin to practice those. The second thing is that you have to find a way to get to gain hope. You have to have hope. And that's what that's why this second this new book that's just coming out, A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles, I clarify a lot of confusions about the miraculous and I I talk about how you can know the difference between a coincidence and a genuine miracle. There are clear ways to tell So you don't have to say to yourself, well, that could have just been a coincidence. Well, no, you don't have to do that anymore. And then I list five different kinds of miracles and carefully vetted, examined examples of each. Now, what this does for the reader is it fills you with hope that God is all over the place, still active today, and he could be active for you. So you don't want to get down if he's not. What you want to do is to find out time-tested ways to see more of the supernatural in your life. And in there, I give all kinds of ways to, uh, to, to experience more of God's interventions in five different areas of your life. That is hope-inducing. And so the combination of self-nurturing and finding a way to get more hope, you can't just will yourself to have hope. You have to do something. And, and the book on uh, that I wrote on miracles was precisely to be a hope, hope giving book to people. Right. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate that. You, you say that you can't just bootstrap hope, you know, no, no, no. Uh, I mean, people just, you know, they say, focus on Jesus, you know, and all, and all will be well, like that's some panacea for every problem that you have. And I mean, of, of course that that's, that's definitely the biggest part of it. But it's also, I mean, you can't you can't neglect the the other side of just um, dealing with your own uh, mental health and other struggles. Sometimes life just sucks, you know. It does. Well, and Paul says uh, Philippians four, uh, he, he says, whatever things are true, good, lovely, pure, of good repute, mm-hmm. let your mind be dwell and focus on those things. Now, what's interesting about that, Riley? is the list Paul mentions is found in secular Greek and Roman ethicists. It's not a Christian list. Uh, and what that means is that the things that are good, of, of a good repute or true and worthy and all so on, could be 
it could be the Lord Jesus or something about your uh, status with him, uh, but it could be, that, um, now this is not a joke, it hmm. could be gratitude for the fact that your morning coffee is something that you always look forward to. Yeah. It could be something like uh, you live in a place where you love the weather in a certain season, or you get to see the mountains or the ocean, or you have you, there are certain movies you enjoy. Uh, the point I'm making is that whatever is good and, and, and edifying and redeeming and brings you a sense of kind of a, a bit more satisfaction in life, focus on the good things and give gratitude for them. Some will be spiritual, but others will quote unquote not be spiritual. But if you're really a Christian, there's nothing that isn't spiritual in some sense. Um. Well, how do Christians deal with the tension to be uh, between the call to be holy and the reality of, of ongoing sin? Yes. Well, um, I think the key for me is what Paul said to Timothy, namely, let your progress be made evident to all, not where you're at, but your progress. So for me, we all start in different places. We have different histories. Some had abusive families, others nurturing, and on it goes. So we can't really compare ourselves to other people because we started in different places. It's just, it's kind of a silly way of going about life. Right. Uh, and we tend to, you know, project onto other people. They've got it all good and not bad. And on me that I'm all, my life sucks and everybody else is happy. Well, that, that's just not true. But but so so what I would say is, am I over the last two years or, or 12 months, do I think I am making progress in drawing, learning how to draw near to the Lord? And have I grown in my sense of, say, peace or, <laughs> or, or patience? Now, uh, that so that's number one. And the other thing I would say would be, that you, again, the reason there are spiritual practices is, is because they provide you a way of changing in, in, in a way that you can't change by simply willing yourself to change. Mm -hmm. um, you can't just say, well, I'm going to be holy today. And it, it, it doesn't work like that in the Bible, mm -hmm. according to Romans 6. Uh, agrees. Instead, what you do is you start engaging in some practices. If, for example, a practice might be that when you see an attractive woman and you, you know, there's nothing wrong with enjoying uh, kind of an initial, boy, she is really hot or good looking. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it's not don't let the bird build a nest in your hair thing. So from that point, one thing you can do is you can either turn your focus to something and practice that, or you can begin to view this, this woman as some guy's precious little daughter. And, mm -hmm. the, and, and you begin to think, well, you know, this dad doesn't want me a goo gooing all over his daughter. I've enjoyed a, a you know, a brief look. Okay. That, that, that's okay. But now what I want to do is, is just to say, Lord, I don't know anything about this dear young lady. But I know for a fact that she's probably facing all kinds of pressures and problems in life. And I just bless her right now in your name and, and pray for her well-being. You turn away and get on. Now, that's not going to work early on. 
because you're habituated to staying around and looking for two minutes or, or 20. <laughs> but um, so what you want to do is to just give yourself time to form the new habit. Right. But if you stick with it, you'll get there. That's an example. Well, what is the difference between uh, guilt and shame and godly sorrow? How can believers feel less guilt and shame when they when they sin or when they fail? This is such a good question, uh, Riley. It's really at the heart of so much suffering. Um, I actually take seriously Romans eight one. There is now no condemnation for those of, in Christ Jesus, and then Colossians. I think it's two, where it says that our certificate of debt was nailed to Jesus' cross. And when someone was crucified in those days, their, their crime was nailed above their head on the cross so people could know why they were being crucified. And that basically implies everything that I have done to sin against God was nailed to the cross and Christ paid the penalty for it. Now, I really believe that's true. If it is true, then there is no longer any room in my life for guilt or shame. Now, it doesn't follow from that that I'm not guilty or I don't do shameful things, okay, because I do. But those have already been paid for. So uh, the, 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 rem the, the sense of guilt and shame was taken on Jesus. I don't have to do that again. So I don't believe in guilt and shame because they are utterly counterproductive. They're self-directed. They're where you kind of beat up on yourselves and you're embarrassed and you say, you're just an idiot. Why did you do that again? Um, what's wrong with you? Uh, you know, why are other people able to, to do this and you can't? That is not helpful. And that's what guilt and shame does is it's self-focused and it's con condemnatory. But you should feel something, and that's what I call godly sorrow. Now, the good news is that is a sense of sadness. Uh, you may say, you know, uh, Lord, Lord, I'm just, I'm sad that, that, I, that I blow up at my friend once a week, and I, and I just did it again, or my wife, or, or whatever. Uh, and I'm just, I'm sad that I, that I haven't made more progress by now than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. And but the sadness needs to be uh, a, a form of repentance that moves me, hopefully, toward God. I it's filled with hope because I in that godly sorrow, my focus is on running to God and connecting with him without cleaning myself up first. Mm -hmm. So there's a sadness, but in a repent, a repentance, which is a sadness and a, and a new desire to turn around, to turn away from this, but I run to God, and it and it brings me hope and consolation, rather than self condemnation. So I'm really big on godly sorrow, coupled with a change, a repentance, meaning a changing of my attitude or mind towards this. But I'm not for self loathing, guilt, and shame. Otherwise, I don't really believe Romans eight one or Colossians two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. How do we, uh, how do we maintain our faith when life is especially hard? I think, I think, 
I think the first thing you do is look at the alternative. I mean, what so what other alternative game is there in town? Uh, and I think that Christianity is the best game in town, even if you're suffering. Um, so uh, you, you, I still cling to God because I don't think there's anything out there that's better than, than that. I think the second thing you do uh, is that you find things in your life that are life-giving. And they may be people, there might be certain people that being around them for just a bit or calling them on the phone is just sort of life-giving. And, and there may be Christian music or certain kind of Christian books you love to read or, or, or going out for a movie with a brother or sister, whatever it might be. But you look for things that are life-giving and you, and you try to turn to those as best you can. Uh, I think the third thing is you settle for limited objectives in, in terms of your own productivity while you're going through a dark valley. Your, your goal is to uh, pass through this. It, it isn't to beat yourself to death so that you're quote unquote productive. And, and I'll close with a sentence that, uh, uh, that I memorized that is extremely important. And it is every occasion in life is an opportunity for either formation or deformation. Mm. Choose formation over deformation. So that whatever happens to me, I can let that sour me and set me back. Or I can admit that this is horrible and I'm suffering. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to look for ways that I can be formed by this. And I can grow from it instead of uh, dogpile on to the bad event by making it worse, by, by being deformed by it, you know, turning to over drinking or whatever it might be, getting addicted. So that's, yeah. that's an idea. Well, Dr. Moreland, um, in conclusion here, uh, we read all the time about benefits of living in the kingdom right now. But uh, what about those of us who are just limping along with our chronic mental illnesses and for whom maybe those promises don't even seem real? You know, where is the peace and the joy that the spirit uh, is said to bring those who follow Jesus? Such a good question to close on. Remember in the last chapter of the gospel of John, where, uh, Peter, uh, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. And, and Peter says, well, what about this man pointing to John? And Jesus says, says basically, don't worry about him. Uh, I have his, a plan for him, but you follow me. <laughs> meaning, meaning that you, we all have our own journey and it's not somebody else's. And I have to, to live my journey, and I can't be trying to grade myself because I'm not living up to somebody else. That's just insane. So I'm supposed to do the best I can with my own journey. And that's going to involve, for some of us, limping a lot. <laughs> that's okay. Because I think that we can teach others and be of great help as limpers 
where other people who were maybe say raised in a, without any stress and their so on, won't, wouldn't be able to have that kind of opportunity. The key is, is viewing this as a cross country race, not a hundred meter dash. We're in this for the long haul and our goal is to get better over the years. And we will, if we practice the right practices. And so maintain your hope. God is performing miracles today, like under the book of Acts. And you don't know that he may very well intervene in your situation and, and do something supernatural just for you. And that, that, as I've documented, that can happen. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Moreland. We really appreciate your time and your insights. And um, a simple guide to experience miracles is out now, correct? It is. Great. Well, go ahead and pick that up today. So thank you very much for listening.